0: Good evening, everyone. Um, I was waiting to see if more people would show up, but I realized some people might get the to talk tomorrow morning, the people who are in Europe. Um, so I'm looking at the, the title I have for the talk, which is called Life, Death, and Love. Um, and let's see if I talk about that or not. We'll see what comes. It's partly the way I was uh, thinking uh, when I got done last night. It's the talk that came alive in me after doing the loving kindness practice uh, with you all, which I found very moving personally. Uh And I thought I would remind you that we're in the heart of the retreat now. And so I want to come back to a question that I began with, which is how do you give yourself to this retreat fully? What does it mean to give yourself to it? What does it mean to give yourself to practice right now while I'm speaking and you're listening? And that's a really important thing that I've been emphasizing in the small groups, which are also interactive with speaking and listening and thinking, of course, because you're going to think about whatever I say also or have a feeling about what I say. And so I'd like to encourage you. I may have mentioned this, but I'll mention it again. I mentioned it in small groups. Uh, the difference between right speech and mindful speech. Right speech is about um, saying things that are truthful, honest, real, uh, at the right time, right place to the right person, with the right intention. Uh, and, um, and thats it's a really important part of the broader Buddhist teaching, uh, especially around the precepts of right speech. And mindful speech is in the four foundations of mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta. And it's in the first foundation. It's a mindfulness of the body practice. And it's in the the section where the Buddha talks about how to practice in all activities. And so I want to encourage you to be mindful of your body right now. And what that means to me when I say it and when I do it, because I'm also doing it right now, because it's part of my practice of speaking, is to be mindful of the body, is to sense, feel, be aware of the uh body that's here, the somatic, kinesthetic, energetic aliveness that's right here, that's speaking. And I'm encouraging you to be aware of the same somatic, kinesthetic, energetic aliveness that is listening to the talk. And it's right here, you don't have to do much. You can't get away from it really, but, if, but you wanna let your consciousness seep in it as you're listening to me, as you're hearing me, and as you're thinking, and as you're feeling, as, as you're uh, making sense of or understanding what I'm saying. So that the talk becomes, it's just another part of practice. It's not different from practice. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've sat, I've, uh, I've given enough talks, but I've also sat in, and heard a lot of talks. And it's always nice if the talks are entertaining. But that's not the goal of practice, is not to entertain ourselves. It's to wake up. And so to, to actually use the talk as practice, it's so helpful. And it's helpful not just for the retreat, but it's helpful for 24-7 practice when someday you leave this retreat and you're in what's used to be called the normal world, right? Because then you can practice wherever you are or, or with whoever you're speaking to, and they don't have to know that you're practicing, you're just aware of the liveness that's here, that's listening to them and speaking to them. And the awareness is not a cognitive awareness. Again, it's a felt sense of knowing, awareness here, and uh, which is one of the words Pam used last night here. Do you remember Pam gave a talk last night? That I'm glad sometimes people forget by the next day, it's long gone. But because so much happens between yesterday's talk and today's talk. And, uh, and I thought I would um, add on a word or two to Pam's words, right? I liked her words very much, right? Here, real, kind, open, free, right? Those are all good words. Here, I'm going to add one more word. Uh, curious. Let's be curious, What is it to bring curiosity into our practice? What what happens if we're curious about what does it mean to be here? Not just cognitively, not just conceptually, but experientially. what What is the experience of being here? What is the experience of being real? What is the experience? Let's be curious about the experience of being real or the curious about what is the experience of being open or what is the experience of being free? Sayada Utejaniya, who's a Burmese monk teacher for many of us, he said, as your practice develops, the mind-heart will develop a sense of curiosity, a natural tendency to investigate. Curiosity is an expression of wisdom. Curiosity is an expression of wisdom. And it's such a beautiful teaching from Saito Utejaniya, because we see it in children, right? You ever see how curious children are? They'll pick up anything and then, And they just trying to figure out what is it, and then they put it in their mouth, or they put it in their ear, or they, or they throw it up and see what happens, you know, in order to understand what is this, what's this, what is this reality right now, right? Or they, or they look really close, or they taste it. There's just such a beautiful curiosity, or they want to touch it, whatever it is. Because they want to know it they want to understand it not cognitively experientially and so the curiosity that i'm pointing at is the same it's not just a cognitive curiosity kinesthetic somatic energetic affective curiosity now here what's here now And of course, in Zen, they just say, oh, what is this? And really, they're pointing at all of reality, because all of reality is available right here, right now, as we look closely. And I was thinking about the words Pam used. She said, you know, the last word she used was free. And I thought, oh, what's your word? what would your word be the last word after, you know, here, real, kind, open, would it be free? Or would it be awake? Or would it be uh, um, realized? Or would it it be love? Or would it be happiness? Or would it be satisfaction? Or what would it be for you? And of course, you can see for yourself, because it's important, your own heart's desire for what I call reality, whatever that might be, is really important. Don't, don't lose it. The Buddha didn't lose his desire for, and we could say, call it enlightenment or realization. He followed it all the way to the end all the way to the end and we want to trust our desire our longing our yearning for whatever it is being free or being liberated or being awake or being loving or being compassionate or being happy whatever it is trust it trust it because it comes from your heart and your heart is a really important part of this practice And it really, it's all I'm doing is a little bit asking you, what do you seek here? What are you doing here? What do you want here? And of course, then I'm also suggesting, go for it. Whatever you want, whatever you seek, and see what happens. And the word for me is, it's close to Pam. You know, we're we're close in general, so, but it's uh, it's close. Um, It's not free, it's freedom. And it's something that has, I've been drawn to as long as I can remember, really. As long as I can remember, even as a very, very young boy, there was something about freedom. I wanted freedom. And I didn't even know what freedom was, but I wanted it. And, you know, sometimes I think about it in different terms. Now I think about it. Really, what I want is just the freedom to be or the freedom to be myself, or the freedom to be real. You know, the freedom to be really who and what I am, whatever that might be. Not that I know what that is, and I want that. But the freedom, I want the freedom to discover the truth that's sitting right here And it's funny, I I don't get a lot of um, things on email. I I always uh, unsubscribe from anything that thinks they want me to get it, right? They send you something, you should read this every day. But I do get one thing from Saido Utejani every day, which is a quote that I believe it's a Rochester Meditation Center puts out. And, and it, you know, and it's, he's good. I like him. So, I mean, he's not always great, but he's mostly good. And uh, and so I got a quote today when I, when I, you know, opened up my computer and it said, be yourself, don't pretend. Be yourself, don't pretend. That was the whole quote. Usually they're a little longer. And so I'm offering that to all of us because that's the doorway for me That's the doorway to freedom, is to be myself all the way to the end. And of course, it's a very famous Zen phrase. They say, how do you wake up? They're they're asked, how do you wake up? Be yourself all the way to the end. And that's, of course, a great teaching for each of us, that how can we be free or wake up or discover reality or be liberated? Be yourself yourself all the way to the end. And of course, Eugene has a little add-on to that. Be yourself all the way to the end of yourself because it may go beyond yourself, what you seek. Here's another quote that I love about waking up, be yourself all the way to the end. What happens, right? What is being real and reality and realization because I like all those words that Pam started with real. And I like realize, and I like realization. That's an, I don't use the word enlightenment, really. I like realization because it's not, enlightenment sounds like you get there and you're done where realization is, oh, you can have a realization after realization. And it's the way one of my personal teachers teaches about ongoing realization. And i that's been my experience. And it means even when you're realized, you're not done, which is really beautiful because it's so human. There's so much more to discover for us as human beings about who and what we are and the potential for us as humans to wake up and discover the truth that's here. So Zen Master Dogen, he says, realization neither general nor specific, is effort without desire. Realization, neither general nor specific, is effort without desire. Clear water all the way to the bottom, a fish swims like a fish. Vast skies transparent throughout, a bird flies like a bird. Okay, everybody got that? <laughs> Good, okay. I got some two thumbs up there from some people and it, cause it's a beautiful, Dogen's just, Dogen is the real thing. If you want to understand reality, keep, keep talking to Dogen. He's, he's something. Oh, beautiful. And, and what he's pointing at is being ourselves right? A fish swims like a fish. It's not swimming like a bird. It's not not swimming like a dog. It's not swimming like a human. It's swimming like a fish, right? A bird is not flying like, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, uh, United Airlines jet. It's flying like a bird. It's itself all the way to the end. And so I'm saying this and emphasizing this to trust your direct experience here. It's yours. It's your doorway to understanding, to realization, to waking up, to being free. And it's right here. If I want to add on Pam's word here and free, right? She started with here and went to free. It's right where it's sitting right where you are. What you seek is sitting right where you are. And some of all of this came out of the groups that happened today, yesterday too. And one of the things that came up in the groups is um, how to do practice so things will go the way I want them to go. And that's such a great question that everybody has really Somewhere, everybody has some, I believe, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I should sure watch it in my heart and mind. Oh yeah, if I really practice right, then everything will be fine. And even though that's true, it's never fine in the way I think it's gonna be fine. It's fine in a real way, not in Eugene's projection of what fine is, right? And so the question is why do we practice do we want to practice so if we do this we'll be okay you know and on on one level on a very surface level that's fine you know we want we all want to be okay but there's a bigger okay not just the little okay but a big okay and that's much more interesting to me and so when i think about what we're doing here what i'm doing here what i'm why i'm practicing is to discover what it is to be real and discover reality fully, right? And to see who and what we are individually and collectively, what is this? You know, it's an expansion of what is this moment? What is this moment here? What is this moment here in the room together with this room full of consciousness, seeking to understand the Dharma? Hmm. And there's something quite beautiful here in my experience, my opinion, my experience. And it's partly what inspired me last night after teaching the the loving kindness practice, the really Brahma Vihara practice. Um, uh, it It was like, oh, I actually really landed here with all of you. And it was like, I could see you and you were beautiful and i felt a lot of love and i felt love for you and i felt love for us and i felt love for what we were doing and love for the dharma and i felt how much that kind of love is not something i do it just arises and and it's known because i'm used to paying attention to what's actually here. In addition to the the body and the breathing and the Vedana and the this and the that and the thoughts and the feelings and the sounds and the smells and the tastes and the touch, states of consciousness arise because it's not an affective love. It's not like, oh, I've fallen in love with you and I'm gonna die if I you don't move in with me, all of you, come on, right now, move in here and let's live together forever. It's not exactly that kind of love, you know, but it is, it's a kind of, more like the Brahma Vahara love. It's the love when the heart opens on its own and is free just to express itself in a loving way. And it sees on a certain level, everything is love. And humans are beautiful and precious and you know the phrase in buddhism that's used to describe this is precious human birth precious human birth and and of course we're all made up of I'm trying to get rid of something on my screen excuse me I'll get there there we go um Yeah, better, better screen. My vedna is pleasant when the screen is better. Really like that. It's like I can take you in even much more fully, and take in myself and what's being said and what might be important right now. What might make sense, right? So the the heart practice that I felt last night is seeing the beauty and goodness. And uh, um, really the word that came earlier when I was thinking was, oh, the majesty of human beings. What an amazing thing that we can do this, right? I mean, and this is totally, in my, in my uh, opinion, bizarre to teach a retreat online, right? I mean, I've taught a zillion retreats in person and I've taught a few online, and it's and it's totally wild and this all came out of people's hearts and minds. Zoom is something somebody thought of right I mean who the hell thought is who the hell thought of the computer right besides I can't remember who it was but but I, it's funny I know Steve Jobs thought of Apple and I'm on an Apple so I got I know I'm connected to that who thought of that this one but the whole form is totally wild. And yet, in my opinion, the form mimics the potential of consciousness to go anywhere. And and right now we use Zoom, but depending on how realized we might be, we might be able to tap into consciousness everywhere. Who knows? I mean, it's definitely clear that the Buddha had what we would call psychic powers to read the hearts and minds, to know other people immediately, right? Without having to hear everything from them. Hmm. So part of our good fortune here that I mentioned about the precious human birth is to see what it is to practice to uh, out of love and loving the Dharma, loving the truth. Dharma generally translated as truth. And uh, and so that's part of my practice. I, I really, I love the truth and I love the truth for its own sake, not for my sake, for its own sake. There's something bigger than the small sense of self There's something that I love that's bigger than Eugene and what Eugene likes or wants or needs sometimes. But there's something about reality that I love. So I often equate Dharma, truth, reality, same word for me, right? And so I want to give myself to what I love as part of practice. And I love the truth. So I give myself to the truth in the moment. What's here? And I find it very heart-opening to do that kind of practice. And um, some of you know I had a very serious accident a few years ago. Um, If you don't know, just the briefest is that I've done a lot of bicycling, big downhill ride, lost control, fell, had had hit my head, not sure on what, because uh, I don't remember anything almost of that fall, except that I was helicoptered to a hospital, and I had a, what's called a mild traumatic brain injury. I don't. I have no. I, I can't even imagine what a not mild traumatic brain injury is, because this was serious, and and I lost everything for a while. I lost my mind for a while, and that's a whole nother story. And a lot happened there. But um, but when I came back, I, there was one thing that happened after five weeks in the hospital and beautiful love and support from my wife and family and, 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 and many people, some of whom may be you, who were very kind to me, um, um, I came home and after practice and meditation for many, many, many years, I didn't know how to meditate. That had gone in the brain injury because really it, it it went away for a while, my brain, my mind, and I didn't know how to meditate. I had no idea. I knew I saw a cushion in my room and I knew you sat on it and that's all I knew. I didn't know what else you did. And uh, and after a few days home, um, I sat on it and I still didn't know what to do. And I sat on it for a while and then I got up and I hadn't done anything. I just sat there and all I knew is it was good. And I couldn't tell you why it was good or it wasn't like something good happened, but I just knew that that ontologically, it was good. And then I started practicing again every day, not knowing how to practice, meaning I kept sitting every day just because it was good and I didn't have to do anything. And that, what I what I understand now is that's actually can happen at further levels of practice, where at a certain point, you don't do anything. You just sit. It's actually very Zen way to describe practice as they say, oh yeah, just sit. And in the old days, before mindfulness became the rage, it, you, would go to, you would go to Zen and they didn't teach you anything about mindfulness. You just sit and face the wall. Like I believe Pam mentioned that. That's it. That's the whole practice, just sit, right? And it took me a hard teaching to learn about how to just sit, right? And not do anything. And But it was very uh, heart-opening. And I watched the meeting. It was heart-opening is as I started to recover a little and I could walk a little, which was not a very s- balanced or sturdy at first. I would walk actually with Pam in the park because we live next to Golden Gate Park. And I, I would start to love things. And and the nature, and I'm not a I'm not a big, I wasn't a big nature guy. Now I love nature. I mean I grew up in Detroit. I'm like, you know, I, you know, and I thought the the place to go for more nature after Detroit was I moved to New York City, right? Because I'm a city guy. But um um but the park was so kind to me and so loving to me that I the love emerged back just by being there. The, it was clear, the whole Dharma was right there. The trees are just being themselves. They're not trying to impress anybody. Have you ever noticed that? They're not saying, hey, look at me, look at me. You know, look at how many leaves I have. Look how tall I am. You know, oh, look at all the flowers that I produce. They're not, they're just, they're just there being themselves fully all the way to the end. And also, I mean, yeah, and, and anyhow, but that's continued for me, that kind of love, love of nature, love of um, even people I don't know when I walk in the park, I just see all these people and I feel very loving to them. And there's no reason why I'm loving them, except it happens. And it's something that I believe has opened a little bit over time with practice and life. And it's part for me, it's part of loving the moment. Loving the moment, loving the dharma, loving what's true. And and somebody in one of the groups today who's been working with the Maranasati practice, which is also in the first foundation of mindfulness, she said how intense that's been, because you work with the fact that the body is born and it dies. And you bring that into your practice. And the the one for sure thing I'm saying that you all can trust is you're all going to die. And it's not a mistake. It's not a wrong thing, right? It's just the way it is. For every living being, we're born. We live for a few moments or a while or 100 years. And then we go. That's the deal, for sentient life. Really, it's a deal for for unsentient life too, as far as I can tell, plant life and, you know, the trees come and go and they last, some trees last hundreds of years and then they go, right? It's just the way things are. And so the Maranasati practice is to get comfortable with the truth, the Dharma, the way things are. And relax there. So somebody brought it up that it's very intense. She's been doing that practice because part of that practice is taught by Venerable Analia, who, who I've taught, I teach Maranasati retreats. Please join me sometime next year. There's going to be one of them. Um, And he's taught it with me. I got him to come in with us and do teaching and, uh, and he loves to do this teaching where you with you, you bring Maranasati into each breath. So w- with this breath, you're aware that you're alive. And with the out breath, you let go and you realize this could be your last breath. You breathe in, you're alive, you, you're inspired, right? And you're alive. And then with the out-breath, you let go and you realize this could be your last breath. And and if you want to add a little bit, which she mentioned, he he also says this. He says, uh, and remember when you reflect, or you could just reflect on each breath and reflecting on this is one breath closer to death, right, for each of us. Even if it's going to be 50 years from now or 60 years, if you're young or, you know, or if, or it might be in the next moment, we actually don't know. And it's part of the mystery of life and part of what brings some Vega, a little sense of spiritual urgency like, oh, this is for real, this life, it's precious because it's not forever it's for a moment or a while and then it will change and that's a natural normal changing now it is I don't mean to I'm not trying to Pollyanna death because when it happens when people are young or 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 in harmful ways it's horrible it's tragic and I'm I'm not passive about things because of the mindfulness of death. I can be very proactive about things that I don't think are right that cause people to die, which are m- multiple things, whether it's war or hatred or racism or, or, um, or, or greed or whatever it might be that might ca- cause people to be sick, ill and die uh, um, or distressed and die. But, uh, but the normal, usual death is just that. It's normal that we live and then we die. And for me, it also, the samvega, it, it lights up my practice because I had a little near-death experience, they, they call it, which, uh, you know, I didn't even know what that meant until it happened. Uh, and it was very powerful. And one of the things, I'm also old, which really helps with this whole question about uh, some vega and having a little sense of uh, urgency. And I'm not the oldest person here, but I am. I'm 71 now, and I I call that old. And I I like being old, actually. I, I think being old is great. I have a lot more wisdom being old than when I was younger. And it's not that I didn't have different kinds of wisdom at different ages. And that's really important because I love to be with people younger than me because they teach me because they have wisdom that is different than mine. And it's why I like being with people of different everything, whether it's gender or sexual uh, uh, um, orientation or religion or race or culture or, or nationality or economic status, everybody's got a, a different per, perspective on reality. And those perspectives have reality to them. There's, there's something to learn from every facet of the diamond of reality. Hmm. And so... Yeah. And so one of my perspectives now that helps me in practice and that even doesn't matter really what age you are, but it's, it's stronger as you get older, in my experience, is I've had many lives already in this life. You know, people always ask about past lives and I say, oh, yeah, I've had a lot of them in this life. Right. I mean, I had one life when I was a young boy growing up in Detroit. And it had all its pluses and minuses. It had sukha and dukkha, right? And then and then I had a whole nother life when I, I quit school, which I quit many times in high school and junior high and then college I started. And it was like, not for me, school. And I went to New York. And then I had another life in New York City, which was great. I was in New York in the 60s and did radical political street theater and totally changed my mind because of course I just ran into the street theater in the park in Central Park in New York and they were what we used to call cool so I wanted to hang out with them and they let me which was totally fun it changed my life and then and then I lived and then I when we and then the whole street theater left New York and moved to the west coast to Oregon to become a political collective, which we were horrible at, we couldn't do that at all. And we became a commune. And of course, there were no streets in Oregon really to do street theater. So we, we did a little street theater, but mostly we played a lot of music on the little piece of land that we had. And I became a musician. And then I, did, I had a whole life as a musician. And then after being a musician, and I came down here and was a musician, had a performing space in my house, and played all kinds of strange music, because I like strange music. And, you know, if you know, I'll name some people, most people I'm not so familiar uh, with the Art Ensemble of Chicago were very inspiring to me, or, um, you know, of course, Ornette Coleman, John Coltrane, Eric Dolphy, Thelonious Monk, Charlie Mingus. I mean, total teachers and just, just geniuses that I got to learn from. Uh, Roland Kirk, who was great, who I met personally. He was so cool. And, uh, and, and so I played music and had a performing space. And, and, uh, and then at some point, that life ended. And, I, and, and I went, that's when I went to school for real. And I got an MA and a BA and became a student. I had a whole life as a student. And then and, uh, even gave whatever they call it, the valedictorians talk at, at, uh, for my MA, which uh, I can't remember if it was the MA or the BA. Let me think now. Might have been the, M, the BA, whatever it was you know but it was a whole life and and I did it all to become a therapist because I was interested in doing that and helping people and learning cuz psychology had always been helpful for me and so I then I had a whole life as a therapist and that was a good life and great life and then and then I got I started doing practice and then at some point I got asked to teach and I was like I thought they were they were a little um they, I thought, I couldn't believe Jack Cornfield asked me to teach, but I thought, okay, he, he knows more, a little more than me about this stuff. And so I said, yes. And, and then I became a teacher and that changed my whole life. And then I also met my other main teacher, Hamid Ali in the diamond approach, because I'm a teacher in two traditions, Buddhism and the diamond approach. And, uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, so I've had all these lives, that were mostly good. They weren't all good. I mean, I didn't mention the bad things because, I mean, I could, but it's too long a story. You don't have to hear too much more about Eugene. But all I'm saying is the impermanence of reality and the change makes it very precious and very beautiful. Even when it's difficult, there's something good here. Even when I had this horrible accident and was in the hospital, and I hate being in hospitals, trust me on that. I, I don't like that. And I was even caged for a while in the hospital because they didn't want me moving around and ugh, hated it. But it was still good. The goodness of people, of all the all the hospital people, they're total bodhisattvas, the medical world's the world of bodhisattvas. And and uh, and You know, and and so often we don't recognize the goodness that's here, not just in the people in the hospitals and all around, but in ourselves, that's sitting right here that I could point and I could say your name, Daniel or Diane or or Chala or Cynthia or Paul or Jason or Kathleen or Julian. Really, I could just say all your names, right, Trish? There's something good here. There's a good-heartedness that brings you here. There's a, a care and kindness that brings you here. And there's the wish for whatever it might be to be free or to be awake or to be loving or to be a bodhisattva or to be compassionate or to just, yeah, whatever your word is. So the magic and goodness of just being alive which we are for a short time. And so my word, again, freedom, that I like to point to is that Pam said a little bit, here, free, were her first and last words. She said it, and, it's, and really what I'm pointing at now when I'm pointing at you and saying your names is you are what you seek, and that's part of the paradox of the Dharma. What you seek is sitting in your seat, right? The whole Dharma is right here. I think it's Munindraji used to say that to Joseph Goldstein when jo- Joseph was first a student in India. He'd say, The whole Dharma is right here. And he'd point at Joseph, and I'm pointing at you, whether it's Meg or Kristen or Annie or. Tanaya, is that how you say it, Tanaya? Yeah, I like that name. Our our daughter's name is Aya. So I like anything with Aya in it. Um, And so what supports you discovering what you seek, what's sitting in your seat, is there's another word I like to throw in. I'm not really adding it to Pam's word, but it's a Eugene word that he likes which is discipline and people have a somewhat negative reaction to the word discipline they think it's somebody telling you what to do and then i'm have to uh, i have to you know do what they say i'll be disciplined you know like be a disciplined student you know because otherwise you'll get bad grades that's not what the where the word comes from it's the same word as disciple and it means to learn right? Uh, Originally from the Latin. And a disciple is someone who learns from a teacher or teachings. And, and I believe we're all here to learn or to understand or to wake up. And of course, I like the word understand because the Buddha uses it as a metaphor for awakening for realization. He said, this is from the Buddha in the Itavutaka Sutta, he said, this committed life, this committed life is lived for the sake of seeing into things and understanding them. This committed life is for the sake of seeing into things and understanding them. And that's a beautiful description of our path and the practice and why we're here and what we're doing here. We're trying to understand the truth, reality, ourselves, each other, everything, and see what we find. Hmm. Again, uh, this is from Suzuki Roshi, who says it a little differently. He says, when you try to understand everything, you will not understand anything. When you try to understand everything, you will not understand. When you try to understand everything, you will not understand anything the best way to understand is to understand yourself. The best way is to understand yourself and then you will understand everything. Okay? So that's why we're focusing on this somewhat individualistic kind of practice, like right here with yourself, body, breath, heart, mind, and reality. Again, from Saito Utejaniyo. he talks a lot about understanding. It's an important part of his teachings. It's one reason why I like him as a teacher. He said, one student asked him, "How will I know when wisdom arises and and uh, said he said, "You will see that very clearly you will have an for wisdom when wisdom arises, you will see it very clearly you will have an experience of ah." now I understand. Ah, now I understand. This is real understanding, not just intellectual understanding. You won't have to ask anyone, you will know. That's real understanding. And that's why I can say, you know, you are what you seek. Uh, It's said in the Christian tradition from uh, St. Francis of Assisi said, what you are looking for is what is looking. What you are looking for is what is looking. And even now pay attention to what's here as you sense your body, you're aware of your body and be aware of the consciousness that is aware of what I'm saying and what you're thinking and what you're feeling and what you're seeing. Because it's right here. That consciousness is the doorway, I believe, to everything. You know, it's, uh, it was funny. I found someone, somebody else sent me a quote, and it was about uh, human beings. Each human being, it's from the uh, Jewish tradition. Each human being is a, a, a gateway to the eternal, is a doorway to the eternal, right? And that's a beautiful understanding. Hmm. And so there's one other piece I'm going to add in here for the last couple minutes, and it's about paradox. Because I believe, and I've given talks called the paradox of the Dharma. Because I think sometimes that's the most difficult part of the dharma is it's paradoxical. It's so simple that it's difficult. It's so simple that it's difficult. And even you hear the paradox in that, right? It's both simple and it's difficult. And they're both true. And really, if I, was, if I go all the way with the paradoxical, it's, uh, things are so paradoxical, They're like this, one way to say, I'll say it like this. Well, wait, let me say it this way first. Let me quote Joseph Goldstein. He said, the wonderful paradox of the spiritual path is that all of these changing phenomena as objects of our desire leave us feeling unfulfilled while objects of mindfulness, they become the very vehicle of awakening, right? And it's why we don't have to fix anything. Whatever is here, whether we like it or not, is the vehicle for awakening, for being mindful and waking up. And um, uh, here I'm going to add a little more. This is from uh, Socrates, who also, I bow to Socrates. What a what an interesting teacher about investigation, which you, you all know is the second factor of awakening is investigation inquiry, right? Socrates used to walk through the streets of Athens teaching his students by saying, you must understand yourself. You must understand yourself. You must understand yourself. He would say it over and over. One day a student said, sir, do you, you always say we must understand ourselves. And he said, but do you understand yourself? right? So you can imagine Socrates, the teacher, he gets asked the question, what does he answer? He says, No, I don't know myself. But I understand this. I don't know. I understand. I know I don't know myself, but I understand this don't know. So it points to more paradox, right? Understanding and not knowing are part of the Dharma both. It's not one or the other. Not knowing is a doorway to understanding. Actually, to real understanding comes from not knowing. When we know something, you know, I know, like, if I know what this talk is going to be, and what it's going to say, and how I'm going to do it, it's so boring, to be honest. But if I know know it and don't know it at the same time, then interesting things come out of you, that I don't, some of which I know, but some of which I don't know, that surprise me and come, al- it, the talk comes alive right here as well as right here. Here's a little example of the paradox of the Dharma from my great beloved teacher, Ryo Khan, who said Buddha is your mind, and the way goes nowhere. I should just stop there, that's so good. The Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. If you point your heart, point your cart north when you want to go south, how will you arrive? The Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. If you point your cart north, When you want to go south, how will you arrive? And you can hear in his beautiful paradoxical poem, he's pointing at the nature of reality and understanding and our idea that we know how to get there. And yet we do know how to get there and we don't know how to get there at the same time. Really. And just... Because I like to add in good quotes. Martin Heidegger, German philosopher, I believe he was. And I don't think he was, I'm not sure. I don't know any, I don't know about him personally. I have heard he's good. Okay, so Trish gives me a thumbs up. Good. I'm trusting Trish. Martin Heidegger said, a person is neither a thing nor a process. A person is neither a thing nor a process but an opening or a clearing through which the absolute can manifest. A thing, a person is neither a thing nor a process, but an opening or a clearing through which the absolute, that's capital A, through which the absolute can manifest. And for me, that's good teaching. That's, I bow to that Quote. That's a beautiful understanding of the paradox of reality that we're not doing it, that if we do the practice, it will do us. It will reveal the Dharma to us. It will reveal the Dharma through us. And then we can keep living the Dharma, not just here on retreat, but everywhere, 24 7. Hmm. And it's all so connected. It's all right here. And yet everything is right here. So it's one of the beautiful teachings, again, from Zen master C. Ubi was asked, what's the secret of Zen? And he pointed to a grove of bamboo saying, see how long they are, see how short they are. You all got that? (laughs) <laughs> of course, yeah, it's a very direct teaching. He's pointing at reality. Some bamboo is long and some is short, and they're both true. Some of us are long and some of us are short, and it's, they're both true. They're both the truth. Some of us are whatever gender we are, and they're all true. Some of us are whatever colored bodies we are, and they're all true. Some of us are whatever economic status we are, and it's all true. But it does none of it defines us because it's all of us together. Because we all have economic status, whatever it might be. Or we all have, you know, short, tall, wide, thin, whatever it might be that we are. Or, you know, black hair or blonde hair or red hair or gray hair or no hair or, you know, trying to grow here, or whatever we're doing. Hmm. Martin Luther King said it in another way. He said, we are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. We are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied together into a single garment of destiny beautiful, beautiful, pure Dharma from Martin Luther King Jr. He said, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied together into a, in a single, into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all directly, all indirectly, he said. We are made to live together because of the interrelated structure of reality. Like that's a beautiful understanding of the truth. And he understood it in through his experience, through his culture, through his um, religion. And he was so young, he was like very young when he said this, 26, something like that, as he led the civil rights movement. Hmm. I thought I had one more piece of paper, but maybe I don't. Okay. This is the last quote, and this is totally uh, also Zen. Hmm. I I have a funny mind sometimes, so my mind said, oh, if you want to be really Zen, you would just shut up right now. Come on, that's enough. (laughs) It's been plenty of talk. Uh, But I'm going to read it anyways. This is from uh, Hakuin, Hakuin Zenji, who said, all beings by nature are Buddha. All beings by nature are Buddha, as ice by nature is water. Apart from water, there is no ice. How sad people ignore the near and search for the truth afar. Those who hear this truth even once and listen with a grateful heart, treasuring it, revering it, gain blessings without end. Much more, those who turn about and bear witness to self-nature, self-nature that is no nature, Go far beyond mere doctrine. How boundless and free is the sky of awareness. How bright the full moon of wisdom. Truly, truly, is anything missing right now? Truly, is anything missing right now? In just this one moment, is anything missing when we're here? As Pam said, when she started her talk. Nirvana is right here before our eyes, this very place, the Lotus land, this very heart, body, the Buddha.